Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. It's not you, it's me! Me! Wait, that's not how that song goes. Do you find yourself unable to stay in a relationship or stay at a job? Maybe you get to a new job and it's great, but quickly becomes a nightmare. You may believe that you're just unlucky in love. When this happens over and over again, the problem may not be a string of bad people or places. The problem may be you. In this episode, we're going to delve into some ways that you can recognize that you are the problem in a relationship, be it with coworkers, friends, or a romantic relationship. We'll briefly discuss some things to help you accept that you are the problem before going into how to fix yourself to no longer be that problem. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Just kind of settling into the routine. Yeah, I've been working remote, but it was nice to be able to at least get out of the house like once a week. I would occasionally go out to eat with one of your coworkers who lives over here. Yeah. And then I would occasionally just go to the Mexican place by myself and I, I can't do that. And so I'm like stuck at home and everybody else is stuck at home. And so there's been some adjustments. Uh, usually my daughter and I would leave on Saturday mornings and we would go and run errands and do all that stuff. And so we spent like half the day together and I realized this past Saturday, I'm like, you know, she's not really getting that. And so what we ended up doing is I bought, I bought a new game and played it. I bought Donna Man and, mm -hmm. you know, it's a survival strategy game. And so she sat down with, you know, with me here for like four or five hours and gave me advice. And like, we were, you know, we were playing the game. So that was about as close as we could get to anything interesting, but she had a blast. Um, but it's still been really an awkward adjustment to this whole really, really remote thing. I mean, I grew up way out in the sticks, so like I'm pretty low maintenance, but I really miss the nice restaurants that I could go to here, and it sucks. So how about you? Well, uh, John Cooper, I am not. But uh, that song from Skillet that I uh, purposely sang wrong uh, gave me the idea for this episode. Also, the Skillet reference is a shout out to Amanda because, you know, that's her favorite band. Uh, the infamous Amanda, according to our editor, uh, who, by the way, deserves a shout out of his own. He's in France, so has been working under even more stress than us. They they had the this going on longer than we have and still producing great episodes. I realized that uh, after I had put this in my weekly update that uh, my shout out to our editor was the episode titled You Are the Problem. Well, that's Julian, why you are the problem. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Julian, you're not, you're not the problem. Just we want to we want to say thanks to Julian over at Podcast Edition for for all the work. That's really awesome, and it's just been really great communicating with them back and forth. Um, so I originally was writing this as our April first special episode, but it didn't really feel like a special episode, more like a normal episode that was just sort of a little bit different. Then when I told Amanda about it. She, I didn't say it was our special episode. I just told her about what I was working on. And she was like, oh, is that like the other side of dealing with difficult people episode, which she helped write? And I was like, huh. 
Maybe this shouldn't be a special episode because <laughs> it kind of does correlate to that. And also, this has taken a bit longer than normal to write. Uh, I've actually had two weeks to write this episode and I just finished it up. I was up to about 2 a.m. last night working on it. And then Amanda sent me some stuff that she'd looked up and I added it in after I got off work before we started recording. I've just been swamped with everything. I know last week I told you guys all about it. Though I'll, I'll be honest, I've really enjoyed this episode. Like once I got working on it, the episode just flowed. It's so funny that I, I've been so swamped and busy, but my writing has picked up. Like I'm when I actually sit down and take the time to write, I really get into it and I really enjoy it. And it doesn't feel like a chore. I just I'm like, man, I really wish I had more time. That's why I, I stayed up till two a.m. last night is because I just got into it. I wasn't even feeling tired. Until I finished all that I they had to work on, I'm like, I think it's time for bed now. Yeah, I, I love that part of writing. Like when you get just enough pressure on you, and then you suddenly go and write, and you just crush it. Yeah, it's it's oh. wonderful when that happens. I did get to take a break the other night. Uh, Amanda and I made chili, and then played some group games on Steam with friends from church. Uh, I think they were called Jackbox games. One where you you have to draw stuff and then people have to, it's not guessing what you drew, but they put in what it could be to try and trick other people into thinking that it's that and not what it really is. So it it was kind of a fun game. There's a few others, one with aliens. I don't know. It was a lot of fun. I absolutely loved it. And hopefully we're going to get to do that more. It was nice, especially for a couple of extroverts who can't go out. It's all virtual hangouts right now, so that was that was really cool. Speaking of remote and virtual, let's go ahead and uh, hear from Will about Book Club. So in chapter three of my book, uh, Remote Work, The Complete Guide, I get into some of the misconceptions about remote work. There are a lot of them, and you probably are having at least some interaction with some of those misconceptions. People in management think that you're probably sitting at home in your pajamas all day watching TV. You may think that it's going to be easier, and it possibly isn't. You may think that you can handle the isolation, and you may have found that you can't. There's really a lot of stuff with remote work that people have a certain impression of that is not accurate for sustainable long-term remote work. So uh, in this chapter, I kind of break down some of the things I've experienced. So I talk about, you know, how you'll have people that think that because you are working from the house that you are available to take care of their kids or run errands for them or 15 other things. And, you know, that's, that's not a thing that's going to happen. There's just a lot of stuff that People have it in their head about how working remotely actually works that is inaccurate. And so in this chapter, I try to dispel those things. Um, now, I will say, uh, given the current circumstances, a lot of y'all are rapidly getting the same kind of experiences that I've had. And this <laughs> may or may not be as useful as it was you know, written before the whole pandemic started. So uh, we'll have a link to it, you know, that chapter in the show notes. So you can actually read it on Simple Programmer. So that's that. So Beige, what do you have for us? 
So we have a comment from Tony on a classic episode. Oh, man, I'm not going to call it all the way back. That was episode number four, the mental health concerns for developers. And this isn't that old of a comment. I, I pulled it just from uh, last year. But Tony says, hashtag break the stigma, everyone. We can make it through this. Mental health is just as important as our physical health. People do not realize how real mental health issues are, thus making it more difficult for those who are suffering from such. I'd like to invite everyone to this movement to be open-minded when it comes to mental health issues. Spread the mental health awareness. While this is a comment from last year and on a much older episode, it still applies in today's world, especially with what's going on. You know, we don't think as much about mental health as we should. And this quarantine, a lot of us being isolated, especially uh, I've seen a lot of posts about, hey, check up on your single friends because they may not have anybody with them and they just need that. We have to be more conscious of that interaction. And we're not able to distract ourselves from our problems by going out. And so these are going to bring things to light that we may not even know that we have. But guys, I, I like the quote from this, we can make it through this. Tony, thanks so much for the comment on an older episode. It's so cool that people are still listening to our older stuff. Sorry for the quality. We were learning so much so quickly back then. We still are just in different areas. But uh, send us an email to waterbottle at completedeveloperpodcast.com because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer Water Bottle, leave us a review on iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all of our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. You can join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Your advertisement could be here. If you like the show and you'd like to advertise on here, send us an email to adverts at completedeveloperpodcast.com. We have short-term, long-term, and other sponsorship opportunities. Reach out to us. Let us help you reach the people who you are serving, especially in this time of quarantine where people are just sitting around and listening to us talk. Reach them in their homes now. We all experience some drama and confrontations in life. Typically, these are rare occurrences and they're out of our control. However, if you seem to be having these problems a lot or in almost every relationship, friendship, or job, then the problem is not likely to be external. As I mentioned earlier, a corollary to the dealing with difficult people, when the difficulty follows you around, no matter where you go, then you need to look at yourself for the source of the problem. It's difficult to admit that you are the problem. A lot of introspection is required just to recognize that it's not external. Then humility to accept that you are the problem. And finally, courage is necessary to tackle the challenges of overcoming yourself and improving. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to know that you are the problem, accepting that you're the problem, and then things that you can do to fix that. The first section is the largest because there are a lot of ways in which you could be the problem. In the second section, we discuss a few tricks to help recognize maladaptive patterns of behavior. 
This helps you accept that you're the problem by knowing that you can actually fix it. Finally, we'll discuss fixing yourself so that you aren't the problem anymore. First off, knowing the problem is you. Unhealthy patterns of behavior can indicate that you are the problem in a situation. At various times in our lives, we are all likely to experience or express some of these. One or two every now and then isn't really that big of an issue. It's when they form a pervasive pattern that you know you might be the problem. So we've broken these down into unhealthy things. So there's five unhealthy areas that you need to look at and see if you're unhealthy. The first of which is an unhealthy view of yourself. Yeah, and a prime indicator of this is not taking responsibility for your own problems and faults. Um, We all have them. But if you are dysfunctional, you'll kind of think that you are not to blame or you're never at fault for anything. Mm -hmm. There's always a way to make somebody else take responsibility. And you tend to alienate people by not taking responsibility for yourself because now they can't trust you. Yeah, and this drives a wedge in friendships and relationships. We have known people who did this and you just don't want to be around them. Yeah, I would say that um, you can usually tell um, when people start distancing themselves from you after they've known you for a year or so. Once they know, know the real you, all of a sudden they go away. That's a real good indicator. Mm -hmm. Another one is friends and coworkers are afraid to be honest with you. And when people in your life are not able to say anything without you losing control or losing your temper, that becomes a problem. Yeah. If they don't feel they can be honest with you about stuff without getting yelled at or having to deal with passive aggression, they won't be. And they'll try to get away from you because nobody likes to live walking on eggshells. Mm -hmm. It's very likely at this point that they'll start hiding stuff from you because they don't want to deal with your temper Mm -hmm. or deal with your inability to handle whatever that happens to be, whatever the trigger happens to be. Next, you see problems as external to yourself. So you're not part of the problem or the issue in a relationship or friendship. This is something I think a lot of people, especially do in their romantic relationships, you and I both have several friends that are like, oh, all women are crazy or all men are crazy because we both have friends that are in either category. And and you're like, no, all of them that would date you are crazy. <laughs> or you, know, you like, drive them all crazy, crazy because, <laughs> you know, like this is, you know, like our life is not a scene out of the movie Joker. Like there's plenty of stable, sane people around. It's you just can't make them show up for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into a little bit more of that on deeper in the episode. The thing is, no one is completely guiltless when it comes to relationship problems, be they romantic, friendship, or coworkers. However, when you are the problem, you don't see yourself as part of the problem. Like you don't recognize that you're the problem, which is what makes this so difficult and so much hard work to even just recognize it. And you tend to take on the role of being a victim of circumstance. Yeah, that's one thing I've noticed with a lot of people I know that are in this boat and myself when I've been, you know, the problem as well is it's not only hard to see, but it's hard to look at. Yeah. And you're not going to notice it. And when you do notice it, you're going to try to unnotice it as quick as you can <laughs> because it's awkward and it's uncomfortable to think, hey, I'm part of the issue here. 
with, you know, like the, the commonality with the dysfunctional relationships you have is you. Yeah. It reminds me, and I'm going to get nerdy here of uh, the perception filter in Dr. Who where you see the person standing there, but your attention is just drawn away and you just don't think about them. You see the problem, but you just, you don't want to look at it. You just kind of turn and look away. I guess you guys can't really see me turning my head. I can't even. Your video's frozen. Oh, well, that's life. I wish I actually had that just on even years in U.S. politics, honestly. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You know, just be like, I just look right past that guy. Perception filters on social media would be nice too. So the next thing under unhealthy view of self is that you sabotage yourself and your relationships. Yeah. And a lot of this really comes out of overthinking or overfeeling or dramatizing conversations, especially confrontations. Self-sabotage causes problems in otherwise healthy relationships. I mean, we both know people that cannot stay in a stable romantic relationship because they get a certain ways in and then they just blow it up. We also know people who um, have trouble staying at a job for more than a few years because they are the ones who end up getting themselves fired. Yeah. Or they engage in behavior that's almost codependent with a job. And then when they get the load too high on them, they can't handle it anymore. In a way with this, you create a self-fulfilling prophecy where you place a negative motive on normal behavior. And then the other party gets defensive because you're coming at them negative and it's like, dude, I was just eating a cracker. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, there's, this is not an evaluation of you as a person when I'm eating a Ritz. Mm-hmm. And finally, under unhealthy view of self is that you self-loathe or are not happy with yourself you despise yourself or or aspects of yourself, but can't admit that you feel this way. And a lot of times this leads to being intolerant of similar flaws in others. Yeah. Again, with the, uh, even your politics in the U (laughs) (laughs) S like, I mean, you look at our political system, like, and I'm not going into politics, politics, but like, look at the dynamics, the dynamics of it are somebody who is sniffing the air and saying it stinks in here and never checking their own shoe. Yeah. That's U.S. politics. That makes sense. The thing about this is, guys, it is normal to have aspects of yourself that you want to improve or change. That's typical. We all have that. Self, And if you don't have that, you're not growing. Yeah. Self-loathing is taking it to the extreme and feeling emotionally sick when you think about it. And speaking of self-loathing, another thing that can create this for you is unhealthy relationships. Yeah, so the next unhealthy Um, thing we're going to talk about are relationships. So unhealthy relationships would be a case where you have a lot of acquaintances, but few or no real or close friends. People like to hang out with you, but they don't get into deeper conversations. You know, you're the life of the party. You're the one telling jokes, but you can't talk about problems, for instance. Mm Mm-hmm. You may have made efforts to make deeper connections with people, but they just don't last. When you start getting closer to people, they back away or they all ghost on you. And these could be because of some of the other issues. Typically, they're not just one or two issues. Typically, it's a pattern of behavior. Yeah. It's almost like it's a cluster behavior, right? Like some of this matches well with the cluster B type personality, for instance, Mm -hmm. or 
similar psychological clusters. I would say another thing is, is when you have real identifiable enemies, like now there's, there's people that don't like you, but to be honest, most of them are not thinking about you. You're not a superhero. Yeah. Unless you wear a cape and your underwear on the outside, you should not have real enemies. Right. Because if you wear your underwear on the outside, it better be clean, bro. Because your mother's going to be embarrassed. <laughs> you know, like that's the thing. It's like, you know, oh, he's got coronavirus, so it's fine. Oh, his his underwear was dirty when we went to the hospital. Like that's a five alarm fire. You don't want that. You can tell we both grew up in the South. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, um, so <laughs> enemies... Enemies are people who are actively trying to sabotage or bring you down. Yeah. And a lot of the people that you feel like are your enemy are more likely either just selfish and don't even care about you or they don't even know you exist. I remember uh, having a conversation with a friend of mine from high school and she was talking about this one other friend of mine who happened to be cheerleader and very popular and just how like she was just horrible person. I'm like, really? That doesn't sound like her at all. Like I was like, well, she just never talked to me and she was just so rude to me. I'm like, what did she do? She's like, oh, well she ignored me and she didn't talk to me. I'm like, you realize that she's like one of the shyest people I know. Like she's more introverted and shyer than you are. Yeah. But she's a cheerleader. I'm like, doesn't matter. Yeah, like that that's that's a whole different thing. And I'm like, she's shy around her friends too. I'm like, she didn't talk to you, not because she was snubbing you, but because she was really a shy. Well, and there's seven billion plus people on the planet so far. Not everybody pays attention to everybody else. It's also normal for people to come in and out of your life or to outgrow or grow in different ways. Like we have seen that with many of our friends where They've grown apart. Yeah, or in a different direction. Yeah. Like they were we we've had people who were very close friends, some even in relationships that ended up breaking up because their lives were going in different directions. Yeah. It's just a thing that happens. And I'll say something that's worse than having enemies is frenemies. Okay, first of all, a frenemy is a portmanteau of friend and enemy. They're people with whom you have a close relationship, but you don't actually like each other you know besides some families there's a lot of friendships that are like that yeah and it's it's more than just like competitive you know well, i'm gonna do this you know because like i think you and i have a pretty good competitive streak with each other and we use it to power this podcast in a lot of respects <laughs> um but you know this is more like well i'm gonna do something underhanded to them and they're gonna do something underhanded to me and we both accept it and then we're friendly face to face and then we backstab after. And I've had friends like this and it is really uncomfortable because you can't trust them and you can't exclude them. So unless you're Taylor Swift, you should not stick around people you don't like. Yeah. Speaking of people who've used it to power their career. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you couldn't help it. Like, like, look, okay. Taylor Swift has broken up with more people than I've known who've had coronavirus. I'm just going to throw that out there. And she's written songs about more people that she's broken up with than I've known people that have had coronavirus. I think she's broken up with more people than I've dated. Probably. Yeah. I'd have to go look through my daughter's CDs, but uh, that sounds fair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I could do a statistical analysis and probably figure that out. Um, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the next unhealthy area that can be used to, to recognize 
that you are the problem is when you have unhealthy arguments and disagreements. So the first thing is just, it's kind of a cliche idiom at this point, but uh, you you bury the hatchet, but leave the handle sticking out. Yeah, I bury the hatchet. Yeah, I say for, for those of you who are, are not familiar with American idioms, burying the hatchet means moving on after a an argument or a disagreement. I think it probably comes out of a misunderstanding of native customs of, Hey, when a war was over, like the chiefs would like take their favorite hatchets out together and bury them. Like they really, really probably didn't do that because that's a expensive piece of equipment. But the idea was, is, Hey, this is over and these are not going to be used again against this other party. Um, And so what's being said here is that you have an argument, somebody comes clean and you forgive them, but then you keep bringing it back up. And you keep yeah. holding it against them. Mm-hmm. It's basically bringing up past wrongs that are unrelated to the current argument. And without forgiveness, any relationship you have will begin to fall apart. Right. Along with this is stuff like, you know, passive aggressive type behavior, like uh, employing the silent treatment to get what you want. Uh, this is you know known as stonewalling. And so what you do here is you basically refuse to talk either about the problem or talk at all to the person. You just give them the cold shoulder until they come to you with what's going on. Mm-hmm. And no, I, I want to clarify something here because this is more than just a time to process or collect yourself. It's an act of vengeance on the other person. And I'm going to probably get myself in trouble by saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Oh, good. Because it's a good example. <laughs> Will is doing like the evil Mr. Burns fingers over here. Uh, Which uh, oddly should be the thing that you're doing because you actually are the evil Mr. Burns. See what I did there? Yeah, I see that. I see that. Yeah. Uh, No. So, um, so Amanda and I have very different ways of processing disagreements (laughs) and things. Oh boy. My way of processing is I want to immediately deal with the situation. I want to talk about it. I want to resolve it right now. Even if I am wrong, I want to resolve it right now. She, on the other hand, is more like I am. (laughs) Yeah. She needs time to process. And she's like, and her thing, and she's told me that she's like, I'm worried. I want to process it so that I don't say something I don't actually mean because I haven't thought through everything. Right. And that's exactly the same reason I step away and process, which drives me crazy when people like are continuing to want to talk. Are you okay? It's like, I'll tell you whether I'm okay or not when I know. Yeah. That, that has been a dynamic that I am getting used to. So apparently a lot of people in my life are that way. I I think maybe wanting to discuss it right, right now and resolve it is more of a rare thing. That's just me, but Either that or I just like being around people that are. Yeah, I think you you match to the other side. Yeah, on that. Probably. So this is not doing like Will and Amanda do, which is completely healthy behavior. This is using that time to process, using that as a tactic to get at the other person. A mean way, like where this would become bad would be. Say, and Amanda would not do this, but say. She says, I need time to process and then doesn't talk to me knowing that it's driving me crazy, not resolving the issue, but not just doesn't talk to me about it, but doesn't talk to me about anything and like doesn't call me or text me for a day or two. That would be stonewalling. Right. Um, 
But uh, if you've met Amanda or you guys have heard her talk to heard me talk about her, another funny story. We were driving back from somewhere. I don't remember where. And I said something rude, something rude. I on can't purpose, imagine you know? that. <laughs> you rude. That's completely new to me. And so she's like, I'm not going to talk to you until we get to my place. And mind you, we were like two streets away from her place. And I was like, all right, we'll see. You just drive around in a circle for like an hour and a half. Oh, no, she couldn't make it the 20 seconds without saying something. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think the big thing here Uh, is like if you refuse to discuss an issue, you're not resolving it. So either you need to be figuring out how you're going to resolve it or you need to be resolving it, not making it worse or avoiding it. Yeah, that's the big thing. It's, It's the avoidance that is the issue. Next, you're unable to accept fault or blame when you do something wrong. Yeah. And so a lot of this comes into, can you say you're sorry when you know you're in the wrong? And that's hard, right? Like that's a thing you kind of learn with emotional maturity. Because I thought about a situation that happened to me in like eighth grade. And I was like, man, I feel really bad about that now. And it's like, those people probably don't think about me at all. Yeah. And, you know, like if I did that as an adult, I would go straighten that out. Mm Mm-hmm but I was not mature enough to be able to say, Hey, look, I really screwed up here. Oh yeah. This is, this is definitely a maturity thing. Instead of taking ownership of your own faults, you blame them on others. A lot of times with this, you can't let anyone know that you are less than cool, calm and collect. Yeah. And nobody believes it by the way. I mean, that's the other thing no. too. Like they're like, all right, you know, you're signaling. the only person you're fooling is yourself. Yeah. And you're not really even fooling yourself. I mean, it's, it's really obvious to everybody, including you. It's just, you're able to be denying it long enough. This tends to result in a dynamic where there's a lot of finger pointing and blame. And that's the big thing you see in your life. Mm -hmm. And then finally, under unhealthy arguments and disagreements, your go-to response is negative. You know, your default answer to everything is no. Before even knowing what it's about, you just, your instinct, you're always no. Yeah. Relationships require give and take. Otherwise it's parasitic for one party and it's, you know, codependent for the other. If you are dysfunctional, yeah, you do all the taking and you don't give. Speaking of doing all the taking and not giving the next unhealthy area that, uh, that you need to look in is your balance of work. First off, you could have become a fair weather friend or coworker where you only talk to your friends or or coworkers when you want something. Conveniently, you're just not around when they need something from you. Yeah, and it probably didn't start out this way. And there are times when one person takes more than they give. But you're a problem when you stop giving and you only take. Like, really, honestly, if you're in that relationship, it's toxic to you, too. Yeah. Another example from my personal life relationship. I'm going to hear it about this episode. No, I'm kidding. Amanda probably won't care. I'll get her wound up. That's fine. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Happy to be a service. She likes that's that's, to that's about part of giving and taking, really. No. I give it, um, you have to take it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Not. Uh, <laughs> so, like, right now, I, last week, I talked about all the stuff I've got going on and things like that. Well, Amanda works in the service industry. Her hours have 
drastically been cut back. And then her other jobs, like she does some online teaching and then her homeschool teaching has gone online as well. But she's got a lot more time now and I have a lot less time. So things like school and church and now even podcast stuff are eating into our time together because the other stuff is overflowing into them, into each other. She has been asking me, she's like, well, what can I do to help? How can I help? Like she helped me do some research on a couple of episodes, this one included. And it's just right now because of the situation we're in, I'm doing a bit more of the taking than the giving. Yeah. I don't know, a few months back, she was really stressed out. She was going through like just working a whole lot, getting extra hours in a couple of her jobs and just had a really wonky schedule. There was several times that I drove, you know, out to Nolansville to take her food and stuff like that. And during that time, she was doing more taking than she was giving. What I'm getting at is it's not like, a 50-50 at every instant. Sometimes it's an 80-20 and that that yeah, alternates and I think back part of it forth. too is that you're willing to do it is you know that's part of it. Yeah. As well it's like okay, it's 80-20 for a little while. Um like my wife just defended her uh, dissertation yesterday so she's got her EDD now. Yeah, yeah so you're Yeah, and I wouldn't congratulations sure about whether to mention it in the you know, what's going on or not. Um but yeah, you know, I'll go ahead and mention it. Um, while this has gone on, like that's a crap ton of work. Yeah. And I've had to do more stuff. Like that's just part of it. Now mm-hmm. I wrote two books last year, so I kind of have to shut up you know, because that was a <laughs> bit worse um, as far as me being disconnected and buried in work, you know, while that's going on. And like, that's a normal re- relationship dynamic is, they're the sign, you're the cosine. If you're looking at the waves, right? It balances out. I know there's probably somebody that didn't take trig and doesn't understand that, but that's normal. You work together, you complement each other. And like in, in both of our situations where when one person in the relationship needs to take more because they've got an, they're, they've got an overload of stuff or for very, any of a number of reasons, then the other person steps up and gives more. And then when the other person needs to take more, they give. What happens here in this unhealthy balance is you're always doing the taking. Or you're doing all the giving giving. and you start resenting. The thing is, is there's no such thing as a unhealthy relationship with one person in it. There's always two. It's like, it's like the role of the Sith, (laughs) but yeah. And we'll, we're going to talk about that in another point, but I just wanted to kind of hit that a little bit because it's easy to take the wrong way. It's, it's in here though. Next, you get others to do all of your work for you. So this is kind of similar to that, but more in a a work role. It's easy to fall into this role of being a taker. And this role applies across the board. Like Will and I have been talking about our relationships, but it could be anything from work duties to housework to volunteer work and things like that. Basically, you're sitting around asking others to do things for you all the time and not doing anything in return. And like Will was saying, this can lead to resentment for you towards them for getting stuff done and then from them yeah, for you Yeah, and this was working. a dynamic that I really noticed in my early 20s in a lot of my dating relationships. 
I was doing all the giving and the other side was doing all the taking. And the thing is, is I wouldn't enforce a balance there. And so I just get madder and madder and then explode. Yeah. So that's, it, it can sneak up on you. It's something that you really have to be cognizant of and just try to chase it down and fix it before it gets to that level. So the last unhealthy thing we're going to talk about is an unhealthy love for drama or you have your own personal drama llama. Drama has become the regular part of the relationship as opposed to the exception. That's when you know that it is dysfunctional. So if it looks like a reality show at your office and you're participating in that, there you are. In effect, your life is full of rapid emotional roller coasters. Life is not a reality show. It's not a sitcom. It doesn't need a dramatic arc in it. That said, life isn't without its drama. But that should be the rarity, the exception. And the problem comes when it's Yeah, I mean, the okay, norm. so just a small tangent. But like, are you watching all the people, the number of people that you're reading their Facebook posts and you're like, this dude actually wants to have a dystopia. Like they're projecting that, you know, it's like, oh, well, it's going to be this bad and this stuff's going to happen. And I told you guys that is not a functional approach to the world. And there's people out there that just look for it. And so it doesn't even have to be uh, interpersonal. It's just they got to have some kind of something that brings excitement into their life. Just ask uh, any high school librarian. They know exactly what's going to happen in a dystopian society and not to worry. Uh, somewhere in the world, there's a 17-year-old girl who once she decides which of the two hot guys she wants to hook up yeah, with or there's, will save uh, us all. You know, there's the nerdy guy that's going to get the, the girl that's like so far out of his league. And, and by the way, he's <laughs> born perfect because he's the chosen one and he doesn't like actually do anything to better himself, but he gets the girl anyway. Like, yeah, I hate that kind of fiction. And the thing is, is there's people that look for this kind of crap yeah. in their own life. Sometimes when they can't find it naturally, they will toy with people and create drama. So one thing that you have to look for is if you do that and you create drama for your own enjoyment, like you don't just experience drama, you thrive on it. You feel that if you're not in the middle of some, some craziness, some drama, that you aren't passionate you're not living life to the fullest. You need that drama to feel alive. Yeah. I mean, I would say that like if you're seeing somebody have an emotional come apart, whatever that is, they're exploding in anger or they're sobbing or whatever, and you feel the need to go over there and talk to them and you're not in this, you're, you're not part of the situation. It's just, you're there. That's an indicator. It's like, dude, why are you putting yourself in the middle of this? It depends on like, if you feel the need to go over there, and talk to them to help calm them down yeah. and reduce that versus the need to go over there and just be a part of what's going on. Right. And it's a really fine line. And this tends to like that attitude tends to burn through friends. So you don't have a lot of lasting relationships. Right. Cause you end up in a situation where like there's always problems and you're always pulling your friends in it because the kind of people that do that also are typically takers. On the other side of it though, are those who habitually rethink, review, and rehash prior conversations. Yeah, like don't overthink conversations, actions, and stuff people say to you. Most of it, frankly, is pretty close to unconscious. Yeah. And, and you can look at your own conversations. Like how many of the conversations that you had today were actually 
intentional versus just kind of like you're winging it. You imagine somebody overthinking that. Like you can even draw others into a problem that doesn't actually exist, which gets into the next one, which is gossip and talking behind people's backs is your default when you have an unhealthy love for drama. Um, Instead of confronting a person, you passive aggressively talk about them behind their back. Yeah. And by the way, you can do this in a prayer circle. <laughs> like that's the thing that they always did in my hometown. It was like, I just want to pray for so-and-so because, you know, his wife left him and, you know, he got really drunk and he crashed his car and he, I saw him kick his dog. <laughs> and you're like, are, are we gossiping or are we praying? Like that's a pretty common thing. And really what it is is people don't have the maturity or the skills to be be diplomatic or they value the drama more than they do the relationship. They also may lack the discernment to know when to confront someone versus when to let it go. And so not knowing that they just talk about it to other people. Yeah. Instead of letting things go, they complain or rant. And the last one under this is you use the phrase, no drama. What they really mean when they say that is no drama from you, but because I have all you need. I'm going to tell you, if you are dating online, this is a major red flag. This trumps all the other red flags. You see that phrase run for the Or if they say all my exes are crazy. Yeah, that's true too. Because it's basically the same thing, right? It's like, it's a declaration that I have ascended above drama and therefore it's not around me. And it's because I've dealt with so much. Well, the thing is with that, you don't really see just from experience, you don't really see people state all my exes are crazy on their dating profile, but you will see no drama a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It, using this term screams the opposite of what you are trying to say. If you find yourself saying this, you got to examine your life. Yeah. Cause you're usually the cause of the drama when that happens. It's, it's like somebody going around loudly insisting that they didn't clog up the toilet. Why are you bringing this up? (laughs) It's the... Not sure about you, bro. It's the he who smelt it, dealt it of drama. But here's the thing. Even if you are actually attracting all sorts of the wrong kind of people, you could legitimately be just attracting these kind of people into your life. You still got to take a look at yourself and ask, why am I attracting these kind of people? What am I doing that is attracting them? Now we're going to get into talking about accepting that you are the problem. We've talked about ways to recognize it. And acceptance is a large step toward recovering from being an unhealthy or problem person. It takes a lot of humility and introspection to be able to accept and admit your role in the way your life has become. Yeah, and this is hard uh, because it requires humility. Usually requires humility in a situation where humility feels dangerous. Kind of have to start thinking about your role in the relationships that you're in Well, hang on. Wait, 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 wait. There's something else I wanted to say. I just wanted to address one thing. Yeah, and there are not as many of these as the first section because the big thing here is recognizing it. A lot of those in the first section kind of get combined here in accepting it. You know, the big thing is accepting your role in relationships. Um, You chose to be in that relationship at whatever level you chose it, and that's your locus of control. and you kind of need to realize that blaming others is not getting you anywhere. And you have to realize that you're doing it. Yeah. As I say, the first thing you have to realize before 
that is that you're even doing it. And just start off by asking yourself, when was the last time that I accepted blame for something? Yeah, and if you can't think of a time, then you should probably start looking for the times that you were wrong and didn't notice it. Likely, that means you couldn't or wouldn't see it at the time that you were the problem. This means accepting that others may not be the only problem. It doesn't mean that they aren't a problem. It just means that you had a role. Next, realize that for things to go well in a relationship, both people have to be part of it. Uh, this kind of like goes along with the the blame. This is usually the case when things aren't going well. And you have to admit to yourself that you have some responsibility in how that relationship is going, whether it be a romantic relationship, a friendship, working with coworkers, a relationship with like interactions with your manager at your job, like no matter what that is, you do have a role there. You do have some responsibility in that. Yeah. Even if that responsibility is, Hey, I didn't see the red flags, you know, and again, going back to my early, you know, my dating experience, in my early twenties, not seeing red flags. That was the thing I did a lot. Um, and you, you recall some of those conversations. Um, you know, the thing call some of those, uh, nights sitting, watching the weather channel. I do have, um, I still have that bottle of tequila. I haven't touched it in 20 years. It's like sitting in the pantry still it is. And I'm like, I just, I can't figure out what to do with it. I need to get rid of it. But the thing is, is you have to realize that you had some responsibility and it's not just a thing of, I want to accept blame, but it's, it's also a thing of, okay, what could I have controlled here to not be in this situation? That's the real thing is the empowerment. You know, responsibilities is great and all, but it's like, okay, if I'm responsible and I can't actually fix the problem, it doesn't help. And then finally under this, you need to get a realistic view of how much work you're doing compared to others. Now at work, this is easier because you're likely using some kind of tracking tool and you can assess your performance. If anything, you can look at commit histories and the difficulty of tasks that you take on. Like, Do you consistently take on the easiest tasks possible or do you share the workload and you do some of the harder tasks, you know, let others take easier tasks? I know Will and I probably have the opposite problem where we want to take on all the really hard tasks because we're like that. I typically go for the hardest thing that's on the list or the nastiest, like just most annoying problem, partially because the rest of the team doesn't want it. And it's like, it just makes it easier for them. And I enjoy the slugging match. But you don't want to do this in your personal relationships, right? Like you don't want to be the person that is the collector of broken people. Been that way in some and like certain stages of my life where it was just like a little group of misfits sitting in the dorm floor. I remember those conversations. Now, when it comes to friendships and romantic relationships as well, this can be really difficult to assess the, the balance of work. You have to look at a large section of time. Like we were talking about how you know, assessing it, we were talking about, hey, you know, there's a lot of give and take over time. So you have to look at a large section of time to see, hey, is it that I'm just going through a rough time now and, I and I'm being more of a taker at this given point? Or is it a pervasive pattern of taking? So the next point is to accept your role in confrontation you need to recognize and admit the times that you bring up the past so that you can work towards fixing it. This is really important, especially in long-term relationships, because it turns out that there's a lot of past. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if you're in like a short, you know, couple of month relationship, there's not that much stuff that's gone wrong. And most things have gone right or the relationship wouldn't have been there. But if you're in a relationship that's a decade or more, you start looking back and there's stuff that's happened and you need to start examining the situations where you bring those things up and go, okay, well, why? Will and I have been friends since college and he constantly brings up how I used to be late all the time. Yeah, we've been, we've been friends for about 20 years. Yeah. Really, if you think about it, because it's early 2000. <laughs> so what? So I'm just picking on you. Well, actually, I, I guess it was more like, was it fall of 2000? I'm trying to think when that was. Uh, let's see, it was my sophomore year. Uh, so that would have been fall of 2000. Yeah. Yeah. When you have a longer term friendship or relationship or work relationship, for that matter, when there's enough water under the bridge, there's stuff in the water. That's just the way it is. Um, what you have to do is watch out for thoughts about what happened in the past when you have a disagreement. Or if you catch yourself thinking, I'll save this for later to bring up and win, then you really need to rethink how you're arguing. Yeah, when your mind becomes a bag of holding for grudges, that's not good. And that tends to be a leading indicator of other problems that are coming if you don't fix that. We talked about it in our April 1st episode, but forgiveness is a powerful healing tool. Yeah. I mean, Beach and I punched each other for crying out loud at different points. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it's fine. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you should punch each other, although sometimes it's fun. But, you know, have a realistic understanding of the fact that a past wrong is past. Like you're still in the relationship. You're still trying to figure out how to move forward. You got to bury that stuff so that you can go on. I do want to say here before we move on to the next one is that this does not mean you allow someone to continue abusing you or anything like that. That's not what we're talking about here. And you can you can forgive someone for something they have done and still not be around them and still not have them in your life if that is what needs to to happen. We're not talking about that situation. Right. It's a thing of I still want this person in my life but I'm not going to forgive them for this past wrong and I'm going to keep bringing it up. Yeah. It's just miserable because like you're hurting the person. Mm -hmm. You also need to accept that you are the one avoiding situations and conversation. Not responding is a response. It's a passive aggressive means of putting the other person on edge and making them feel bad and controlling them. Yeah. Or making them feel confused. Yeah. Um, is another really big thing. Like not, being clear about what's wrong. I've had several friendships that were like that where, you know, there's, there's stuff that just like bubbles up and you, you're completely surprised by it because there was no indicator whatsoever. The thing is the avoidance is what gets you not responding because you want to control the situation. You know, sometimes it's a strategy that a lot of people use because they don't feel like they're empowered to win fairly in the discussion. Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that happens to be. So they control the timing and they get the other person coming to them and then they deal with it. Now in a business context, people do this crap all the time, right? It's just deeply dysfunctional in a business truly as well, but it's really bad in a personal relationship because it's not a business type environment. It's a, Hey, I'm hurting another person. And you have to ask yourself why you're not saying anything. Why am I avoiding this person or the situation? Like you have to really be introspective here to really accept it. 
finally, under accepting that you are the problem, is you have to accept your drama llama or accept your role in creating drama. Which means understanding that you're adding to the drama and step away from it Mm -hmm. and assess where you are. This is really hard to do, especially if you're angry or you're upset in some manner. The, the real trick here is actually pattern matching and figuring out how you tend to add drama. You and I both have different strategies on this. Like we tend to add our own drama to situations in very different ways. Yeah. So to, to do this, you start off, look back at times where you added drama to a situation and look for patterns in your behavior. And then have somebody tell you, hey, yo, dog, you're doing the thing again. Yeah, like we have a friend who is very socially awkward and literally asked me to kick him in the shin if he was just being weird or being like really putting people off because he just could not recognize it. Yeah, of course, you know, I know another friend too. <laughs> he never asked me to do that. I guess he figured I could kick for a long time. <laughs> I just really don't know what to say there. Yeah. Another thing you have to, you know, when they do that is you have to start recognizing that behavior so that you can start to make changes or you can avoid taking things in that direction. Cause it it is kind of unconscious, right? Like it's a pattern that is part of you that you got to figure out how to fix. Part of that is stuff like checking your conversations about other people who aren't in the room. You know, if you're having conversations and they're positive about this other person, that's okay. But, you know, when it gets to the point where it's always negative, you're probably better off just not saying anything. Yeah. Um, even if it never gets back to the person, it's just like, why are you dwelling on this negativity? Like, you're- It goes back to the, that saying, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Yeah. That's, that's a bit cliche. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, like, this is the starting point. When you don't have something nice to say, you're habituating yourself to saying something not nice. Yeah. What you need to do is you need to make an effort to only speak positively about others, not just people you disagree with, but everyone only speak positively about others. Just try it. Try it out for a week or two and see how it changes you. First off, see how difficult it is to have conversations like that. Because if it's really difficult, then you need to work on accepting, hey, I may not be, you know, I may be gossiping. Yeah. Or it's like, hey, why is this person still in my life? That's a realistic answer to that too, right? It's the thing of you need to be truthful to yourself. It's like either they're positive and I can talk about them in a positive sense because they're a positive influence in my life or they're negative and I can't and they shouldn't be in my life. It's like a neighbor I had growing up. You know, his thing was, is he's like, if you give a dog a good name, it's a good dog. Of course, his dog's name was garbage because they found it in a dumpster, but you know, like he was like, don't follow my example. <laughs> um, wow. I would think it'd have more to do with the way that you, know, you treated and raised the dog, but that's just my personal Well, it's opinion. like, you know, if you have a dog named something like that, you know, if you have a dog named Dummy, you know, you're going to treat it like it's a dummy. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, that's, that's just kind of a, a, a big thing there. It's like people, the other thing people tend to grow towards or what they find that you think of them. Yeah. So on that, I'm going to move on into fixing the problem. Fixing yourself is a matter of changing the behaviors that you've built into these habits. These behaviors are your default responses to certain situations. 
we can't always control other people or the situation. So to no longer be the problem, you have to adjust how you respond. So we're going to talk about a few different types of responses. First off is your response to relationships. One thing that you can do to help you better understand relationships and better understand people is to learn about love languages and how others express and receive appreciation and love. We've discussed this before, but just in case uh, somebody needs it, words of affirmation is using words to encourage and support. Um, This one's a big one for my wife. It doesn't do anything for me at all. I'm, I'm, I'm a big words of affirmation, receptive language. Right. Whereas it just weirds me out. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. You can't, if you praise Will, he thinks he does something wrong. It's I just kind of like, to me. You know, what are you trying to do? Um, yeah. You know, gifts, uh, especially thoughtful ones show appreciation and that you're thinking of the person. This is something that Beach does pretty well because that's kind of, it's like your outbound language. It is. Yeah. Gifts and acts of service. Yeah. Kind of tie in together. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. They're, um, it's more like the fulfilling the need. Speaking of acts of service, this is doing something for the other person that you wouldn't normally do or that they wouldn't ask you to do. Right. Um, And this is something I try to do a lot of Mm -hmm. um, is just try to surprise people um, by doing something positive for them. Um, Another big one is quality time. So that means you give the person your undivided attention. You put your freaking cell phone down and you actually have a face-to-face conversation. That's really important, especially once you have kids. So this is this is Will's receptive language. Yeah. He's he's big about this and acts of service, but more so quality time. Amanda's the same way. She's like quality time and acts of service are her big thing. So I think that's why she's been offering to help me out with some of my responsibilities is so that I'm able to give her that quality time. Right. I know her. She doesn't want to be like be demanding and be like, no, you you need to spend time with me. But she wants that. So she's like, all right, well, what can I do to help you to be able to do that? Right. And then the final one is physical touch, such as holding hands, hugging, pats on the back. You know, all the things that we're not allowed to do with social distancing right now. Right. You can give a virtual pat on the back. Yeah. So here's a here's a good thing example. Right now we are in this this time of the coronavirus era. I don't know what to call it. This quarantine time, the social distancing time. I've seen posts about huggers. I know some who just like, this has to be really hard on them not being able to um, like, these are people who just like their, their expression of appreciation is to give you a hug or to pat you on the back or a handshake or just like, just that physical touch is important to them and they can't get that right now. And I shook somebody's hand the other day and we both looked at each other halfway through the handshake and it was like, we're not supposed to be doing this. Oh yeah. Uh, I was at church for, I think it was uh, Saturday morning or Sunday. I don't remember uh, for one of our live streams and the pastor walks in and just instinctively he reaches out to shake my hand and like I'm reaching in and then we both realized it and pulled back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's just, that's the times we live in. But uh, so when it comes to relationships, you need to start taking responsibility for your own actions. Take the idea of fault out of the equation and focus on what you can do to solve the problem. You do need to be careful with this and 
take the blame for things where you caused an issue or harm. Don't take the blame for things that you didn't do or things that did not cause harm or an issue. Yeah, I actually had a conversation with one of my coworkers today because she always says sorry. Yeah. At like is the beginning of of a sentence. And, you know, like today she actually admitted, she goes, you know, I say sorry and I don't really mean it. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I don't really mean it as sorry. It's more like punctuation. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't want to be doing that by as a default in a relationship. So next we're going to talk about your response to confrontation. Forgive and move on from wrongs done by others. This goes back to bury the hatchet, bury the whole hatchet, including the handle. If you're in a disagreement, stay focused on the problem at hand. Don't bring up the past. Your point of view is going to be better received and more likely to be given serious consideration when you're well-organized and concise versus when you're trying to pull in emotional trauma or emotions from the past into a disagreement. I would caution on that a little bit. Sometimes the past is the reason you feel a certain way and go, hey, look, this happened in the past. This makes me think. You that's, know, this that's, thing. that's different than but bringing that's up a past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just want to throw that out there for people that didn't completely get that. If your view is organized and concise, typically you're better off. Uh, people will respond to you, or at least they have to try to respond in a rational sense instead of in an emotional one. And the other thing is, is talk to others about what you're feeling about a situation rather than going silent. You don't start stonewalling people who actually care about you. Slow down and figure out what happened right before your emotions became so hype. You know, you can take a little bit of time to work through the problem and then calmly discuss it. Yeah, you can be silent and avoiding it while you're processing, um, but make sure that you address the situation once you have decided what to do. Mm -hmm. So if you decided, hey, I don't want this person in my life, you freaking tell them. Yeah. And if you do still want them in your life, then you go fix the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But you don't just sit on it. This is an egg that is very ugly when it hatches. So the next one is your response to doing work. A lot of times this means that you're going to take on difficult tasks at work, around the house, or in other situations. Rebalancing the workload so that you're doing a significant amount means that at first you may do a little bit more than your share to kind of catch up. That also helps reduce resentment. So if you have been a taker and just for a while just only been taking, that when you start giving, you may have to give a little bit more. Right. Um, especially in the beginning, because by doing that, you're going to show, hey, I am trying to make a change. Hey, you know, that will help reduce the resentment from others who have been giving and giving and giving and not able to take. Well, and it makes them less tired just in general. Yeah. You, know, you got to share the workload and use everybody's strengths to balance that workout. So there's certain stuff you can't do well, but if it is stuff you can, you should be the one doing it. That's going to give you more results for trying to fix things than the stuff that you can't do well. Yeah. For for example, Amanda and I were talking about it. We're just uh, we're going through this devotions for couples book, and it was talking about breaking up, splitting up the workload and like household chores and stuff. And uh, she absolutely hates doing laundry, and I don't mind it. I absolutely hate doing dishes. Will knows this from experience, having been roommates oh, yeah. with me. 
So Amanda's like, I don't mind doing dishes. Actually, I don't have proof that you do dishes. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Straight up honest. I've never actually seen that you resent it. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, Amanda's like, I don't mind doing dishes. I'm like, I don't mind doing laundry. That's kind of a good balance because um, neither one of us want to do either, but we each dislike one of the tasks less than we dislike the other one. Uh, or, for example, the other night when I was working really hard on uh, on some stuff, she went and swept the floors and did my dishes. She was like, I know you need to do laundry, but you hate doing dishes. So I did that instead so that you wouldn't have to worry about it. And I just like really appreciated that because it just, it made my life so much easier because I can do laundry and it doesn't bother me, but doing the dishes, I don't know why it just drives me crazy. Also, so you need to make an effort to reach out to your friends. You know, this goes beyond just sharing like chores and work, but to interacting and keeping in touch with people invite your coworkers to lunch or social events, you know, instead of always being the one who accepts or declines invitations, you need to start making some invites, even checking in on them and asking how they're doing without expecting them to listen to you drone on and on about your life. You, you need to make that effort and practice active listening skills, not only here, but understand what they're telling. That's a really hard thing to get right. I mean, yeah. Again, that's this is another place where emotional maturity is the the key to the whole thing. Just as an example, if you're in a work environment, actually reaching out to your coworkers instead of just getting in a rut and just doing your thing every day and going home, that will help you a lot, but it'll also help these other people that you're in relationships with at work. It just kind of it greases the skids for a lot of this stuff. And so, it, you know, you have to somewhat be conscious about who you're inviting to go to lunch and when and try to do it more often. Yeah. I, I really don't think it's worth a lot of times the safe, the cost savings of packing a lunch and bringing it into the office because it reduces your ability to do this. It depends. I like at least not every day when I was, yeah. Well, when I was going into the office every day, I took my, my lunch most days, but a lot of times we would go and like, sit out by the fountains or a group of us would go and, and sit together and eat um, or go down to the farmer's market one day and you could take your lunch or you could buy something there. So like there's ways to make that work. So finally guys, we're going to talk about uh, sending your llama packing or your response to drama. Yeah. The first thing is, is don't respond immediately. Like when somebody's being extra, Jumping in there and being extra with them for the most part doesn't really help. Yeah. Take some time to think about your reply. This will help provide perspective and a little bit of emotional distancing from the situation. If possible, a really good thing you can do is run your response by a person not involved. You just got to avoid gossiping and stick to the facts. I know Will and I do this with each other all the time where one of us will be upset about something. We'll send it each other a slack, uh, not slack. Oh, we don't do that. We send each other hangouts messages, but we'll send each other a hangouts message. Sometimes it's like, yeah, man, that, that sucks. You should, you should say something. Sometimes it's, Hey, you're, uh, you're kind of in the wrong there, bro. Yeah. <laughs> then we have a conversation about it and it usually ends up like helping put things in perspective. 
you do, however, want to avoid waiting to reply as a form of control like Stonewall. Yeah, and the, the timing of that can be difficult because of the way other people perceive it. But yeah, it's basically like you need to respond once you have a response. And sometimes a let me think about it or I'll look into it is enough of a response to not stonewall, but to give you that chance to think it through. You also have to spend a, a little bit of time thinking about how you're coming off to other people. It's not so much about being centered around what other people think, but acknowledging that it is a factor in your quality of life. And this can be really tricky because a lot of times you have a self image that may or may not be accurate in various ways. The best way to find out how you're perceived by other people is to just straight up ask somebody Mm -hmm. that said, a lot of people are kind of scared of doing that. So think about how you would feel if you were the other person in an interaction with you, how you would react to that. Finally, ignore or stay away from people who are part of the rumor mill. Don't allow yourself to get sucked into gossiping. And this may mean changing who you spend your time around, who you go to lunch with, who you hang out with. I I heard about someone who he would go out to lunch after church with people. And if they started gossiping, he would just put his money down on the table, say, well, I'm done. I'll see you next week and just walk out. Yeah. And then wouldn't go back out to lunch with him again. You can do that. Nobody disrespected him for it. Like he politely excused himself. You can politely excuse yourself and leave a situation. And you'll be surprised how people stop doing that around you and how much happier you become. It's not just that you're focusing on the negatives, but you're actually creating the negatives and you're not getting anything for it. Yeah. You know, other than like emotional validation, like there's literally no upside to it. It's one thing if you go, hey, look, this person has this problem. You don't need to deal with this particular situation in this way because of this. It's another thing to just go on and on. It doesn't do you any favors. When you recognize that you're the problem and you're able to accept it, then you're able to make the changes necessary to fix it. Don't think of this so much as you being broken and needing fixing, but more as you have developed a pattern of maladaptive behaviors that need to be adjusted and changed. This is an opportunity for improvement, not a negative. The focus here is on self-care and improving your life by improving your relationships and the way you treat others. Next time you find yourself in a heated debate or in the middle of some drama, step back and look at your own actions that led to where you are. Ask yourself what you can do to change. Look back on these tools to help you find where and how to make those changes. That pretty much wraps us up. What do you have for us for Tricks of the Trade this week? Just like we're talking about you being the problem in your relationships, sometimes the problem with your code is the person behind the keyboard. It may be that you've been looking at the problem for too long and need a break, or maybe that you're trying to solve the wrong problem. Whatever the case, taking a step back and examining yourself will lead to solutions you didn't even think about before. So when you come across a problem that you cannot solve or you're just stuck on, either reach out to someone, get a rubber duck, I've got one sitting in front of me right now, or step away. A lot of times I like to walk uh, walk out, take my dog in the backyard and just walk around for a little bit. I'll go play my guitar, just do something not focused on the problem because I may be what's getting in my own way of finding a solution. So that's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. 
If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.